Good morning. Oh, it's good to see you all here today. Thanks for joining us in worship. Um, we're glad that you're here. And it's a privilege to be uh, led by Sadie uh, this morning. Sadie is the worship leader in our venue service, um, which happens simultaneously to this service. It's happening right now. And uh, if you've never been to the venue service, I would highly encourage you to, uh, to check it out sometime soon. Um, Sadie leads just honest, genuine worship week in and week out. And uh, to find it, it's in our new end on the north, north end of our building. So head out the worship center doors, take a left, walk through Middle Earth, and you'll find a sign that says the venue. And uh, you can't miss it. And uh, there's live worship every single week. Uh, the sermon you hear is identical to this sermon. And uh, there's coffee, there's tea, there's bathrooms, there's water fountains. I mean, we got it all for you. So um, hope that you would check that out sometime soon. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you are interested in uh, becoming a, uh, a member here at this church, uh, we're having a Membership Matters course on uh, a class on Sunday, January 26th from 2 to 5 in the afternoon. Pastor Steve and Pastor Brian are going to be leading that time. And uh, during that time, we'll be taking an in-depth look at our statement of faith, uh, what we believe, and uh, why we do some of the things that we do. Uh, the class does not commit you to becoming a member, but it is required to become a member. And so uh, if, if that is something that you're interested in, um, it is a great way to spend uh, a few hours of your Sunday afternoon. It's actually really fun, and so I hope that you can make that. If you would, let us know on the back of the connection card that you're going to be there. We'd greatly appreciate it. And if you're new with us this morning, um, welcome. Thank you for being here. Our, our hope and our genuine desire for you today is that wherever you're at in your walk with God, you would taste and see that he is good and that you would have a very real uh, fellowship with him today. If you would, let us know on the back of the connection card that you're here this morning. We'd greatly appreciate that. It's in the back of the seat in front of you, and, and we'll pass the offering bags later on in the service, and you can drop the connection card in the bag at that time. Well, I am, uh, I am pumped to be preaching the first sermon of the decade, um, of a new decade. Um, uh, today begins a sermon series called Finding God. And this series supplements our 21 days of prayer and fasting, which begins tomorrow and ends on Sunday, January 26th. There's nothing real special about 21. It's just the number we chose. Uh, the goal of this is to provide an opportunity for each of us to begin the year seeking God in ways that might set the pace for the rest of the year. And we've asked each of you who plan to participate to let us know by marking the back of the connection card. Um, and this serves two purposes. Uh, when you check that box, you'll receive in an email a document that will help guide you in what to do over these 21 days. Uh, there are Fasting can be done several different ways, and that document will help guide you in what would work best for you. Um, we have hard copies at the welcome desk for you to pick up as well on your way out this morning. The other thing that you'll receive in the email is a prayer opportunities that are going to be happening uh, in various places at various times throughout the city um, over these next 21 days. And so you can participate in that and pray with other people during those times. Um, we will confess we had a little bit of a glitch in our, our software system this past week. And so if you have checked that box and you have not received any kind of email or communication from us, there's a good chance that your name got erased from the system. So... If you would, just give us a little bit of grace and check that box again. We'll gather that today and we'll make sure that we get the information to you tomorrow. We greatly appreciate it.
Uh, the other reason we want you to check the box is that sometimes checking a box um, actually helps us commit to things. And so hopefully in checking the box, you, you are saying, yes, I'm in for that. And during our time here today and over the next three Sundays, we're going to be exploring what God's word says about seeking him and ultimately finding him. And if your immediate response to the idea of 21 days of prayer and fasting was absolute dread, um, I want to encourage you that you are in good company. Um, I, when I first was told that we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting, I was kind of like, ugh, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, prayer, I love fasting, um, not necessarily my cup of tea. And so if, if that's you this morning, um, we're with you in that. But uh, so it's hard for me to get excited about it. And all of that began to change when I began to look at the passage that we're going to read today. It completely changed my view of it. And as I've studied this passage this week that we're going to read here soon, I've become more and more amazed that this is actually in the Bible. Seriously, it amazes me that Jesus Christ actually said these words. Today's passage is Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And my hope this morning is to do something close to what Jesus originally intended when he said these words. I want to paint a picture of a God who is so good and a God who is so eager to bless us that to not seek him would actually sound foolish to us. It would be unfathomable for us to not seek God. I believe that if we truly take Jesus at his words, we can actually look at these 21 days of prayer and fasting as an opportunity that is just simply too good to pass up. So before you check out on this sermon because you heard the word fasting, uh, let's look at what Jesus has to say to us in regards to uh, why we seek God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 is what we'll read this morning. And Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Lord, I'm amazed by these words. Your word is perfect. Your word is enduring. And I find it remarkable that this promise was spoken by Jesus in the greatest sermon ever preached. Help us. Holy Spirit, to have the vision you intend for us to seek you and find you in ways we never have before. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three primary ways outlined in Scripture for how we seek God. How we ask, how we seek, and how we knock. It is through prayer, fasting, and God's Word that gives us focus and it gives us intensity to our asking, our seeking, and our knocking. Through prayer, we bring our cares before the Lord and express our deepest longings and our desires. 
It's through fasting that we humble ourselves and we remind ourselves of our deepest and our truest need, God. And through the word of God, we gain wisdom to ask God according to his will and to seek him in ways that are in line with his heart. And today, we are going to focus on the why. Why ask God? Why should we ask, seek, and knock? Jesus says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So why does Jesus tell us to ask, seek, and knock? And why do it at all? Is there any really significance in coming to God in this way? When I got to verses 9 and 10 regarding a father and his son, I couldn't help but think of my own son. I have a son who's going to turn one uh, this Friday, and his name's Barrett, and he is a stud. And uh, Barrett is in the prime season of his life for this game. We play it all the time. The game is called Peekaboo. And uh, now here's the premise of how Peekaboo works. I'm going to explain it in great detail for you this morning because it's actually quite complicated. So first, Barrett needs to see Dad, okay? Usually we're sitting on the floor, and he has a visual reference for where I am. Barrett sees me. Then, all of a sudden, in a swift turn of events, Dad disappears. (laughs) He goes away. And maybe I put my hands in front of my face, or sometimes I'll hide behind a couch. Either way, no dad, Barrett no longer sees dad. Now it's at this point where tension is introduced in the game of peekaboo. Okay, there is an unresolved conflict at this moment. Okay, Barrett is aware that I'm near him, but he doesn't know where I've gone. And here's here's where it gets really exciting. I show up again. Okay? And Bear sees me, I see Bear, and there's, there's like exuberant laughter and joy at finding each other again. Okay, it's just an amazing time. We light up with joy, and it's so good that we actually play it like 20 more times. <laughs> now, there are two underlying assumptions that need to happen for a successful game of peekaboo. Okay, first, Bear needs to seek me. It is imperative in the game of peekaboo that Barrett wants to find dad. He has to want to find me. If this is removed, it completely throws off the whole premise of the game. If I disappear and Bear is like, psh, whatever, I didn't need that guy anyway. (laughs) Well, it totally removes the element of suspense. Second, I want to be found. If we're downstairs in our living room, I may hide behind one of our chairs, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of poke my foot outside of the chair just so that he sees it and he can easily find me. And this isn't to manipulate Bear and play tricks with him. I actually want to be found. If I hide behind a door, I cannot wait for Bear to come up to the door and start banging on it so that I can open up the door and we can find the joy and laugh together at finding each other one more time. Now, I know it's an imperfect metaphor, but my point is this. God wants something so much better and so much deeper in his relationship with you. God wants to experience with you the joy of being sought after and ultimately found. God wants you to ask him, to seek him, 
and to knock on the door. Why? Because God wants to give. God wants to be found. And God wants to open the door. He loves you and is more than willing to give you good things if you seek him. We seek God because he wants relationship with us. He wants a deep level of intimacy with you and me. In verse 8, Jesus reiterates his point further. He says, For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Is Jesus trying to give us some superficial excuse to pray? Does Jesus really expect us to believe what he is saying here? Could it actually be that God responds when we seek him? Absolutely. I really do believe he does want that for us. Prayer and fasting is not some formality God came up with to simply keep us busy with something to do. We pray, we read the scriptures, and we fast because we believe that we have a God who actually does stuff when we seek him. That's Jesus' point. God responds. God answers. God moves. Just like I want Bear to seek me, and I want to be found, God wants you to seek him, and he is eager to be found by you. God doesn't want wishy-washy prayers. He's not interested in half-hearted devotion. Jesus is inviting us to ask, seek, and knock with specificity and longing, with the expectation that we will actually receive what we ask for. It really is possible. We will find what we are seeking, and when we knock, the door will be opened. God is waiting, but we have to do our part and come to him. Now, if you read this passage by itself, it'd be easy to walk away with the idea that God is some genie in a bottle, right? We get three wishes, and uh, whatever we want, it will be given to us. And that would be a grievous error on our part. We interpret Scripture in light of Scripture, and nowhere else in the Bible do we see God as some jukebox that just spits out whatever we want. Jesus is not promoting a prosperity gospel here. I'd like to suggest today that Jesus is actually addressing our passivity. For you and me, our default condition is passivity. We go to apathy and disengagement, and we've been avoiding God ever since the garden. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever see God telling us, listen, y'all, you're a little overzealous for me. Okay, your eagerness to seek my face is actually quite overwhelming, and I'm going to ask you to take it down a notch. Okay, nowhere does the Bible ever say that. Jesus is saying these words with the underlying assumption that we've got passivity and avoidance figured out. We've checked that box. But what is he saying? Jesus is encouraging us to come to him and to never stop. He wants us to come to him with the expectation that when we seek him, God can actually be found. It really is that good. There's no game or gimmick. There's no manipulation here. God is not tricking us. All these imperatives, ask, seek, and knock, are said in the present tense, indicating that they are meant to be done in an ongoing fashion. We're never supposed to stop asking, seeking, and knocking. Every single day we are called to come to him. Why? Because God gives. He reveals. 
God opens. How much will we forfeit in this life if we don't ask him? Many of you are probably asking the obvious question, why, when I ask for something good, does God not give it? Many of us have been asking for good things that have not been given to us. We've asked for healing from cancer and not received it. We've asked for pregnancy in the midst of infertility and have not been given it. We've asked for a job and we're still waiting. The list can go on and on. And these are all good things, right? And in short, I don't know. I don't know. Those are important questions for an entire different sermon. But at risk of oversimplifying, one suggestion is that I think it may be because God has a greater purpose. He's doing something deeper that we don't see. Sometimes we withhold good things from our children so that they experience something far better. But here is what we do know. We know this for sure. Jesus encourages us to ask, seek, and knock. Not so we simply get whatever we want. It's actually better than that because of this reality. God is an incredible father. God is an incredible father. He is so good that you and I, we don't even have a category for his goodness. Here's what Jesus says in verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In an attempt to drive home the goodness of God, Jesus compares our heavenly Father with our earthly fathers. He says that we, even though we are marred by sin know how to give good gifts to our children. If this is the case, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is perfect in absolutely every single way, long to give us good things? See, God's goodness is the anchor for our asking, our seeking, and our knocking. His goodness is the anchor. If we don't get the character of God right, why come to Him? Seriously, if God is irritable and easily agitated, why does any of this matter? If God does not know when it is best to give and when it is best to withhold, why come to him? But there's good news. God is not aloof. He's not absent. He's not indifferent to the issues of your life and the longings of your heart. He's not too distracted running the world. Our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. God is infinitely more good than our minds can fathom. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus is helping us see God for who he truly is. He is a loving, beautiful father. Through Jesus Christ, we have a heavenly father who knows exactly what we need. And it gets better. He actually longs to give it to us. We just need to ask him, we just need to ask him. Jesus is not pushing people toward obedience through harsh commands, but Jesus is drawing people toward obedience through the goodness of God. Goodness is in his nature. So we can take heart today. We can take courage today. 
God is eager to give good to you. Goodness is in his nature. God does not have to try to be good like you and me. He simply is good. And we don't need to question his intentions. When we ask for something and we don't receive, we aren't worried. Why? Because he has our best interest in mind. We are at peace. Now, I want to acknowledge that for some of us in this room, you have had horrible earthly fathers, abusive fathers, neglecting fathers. Jesus doesn't call us evil in verse 11 for no reason. We are evil. And our earthly fathers, though sinful, should love their wives and their children. We see this command explicitly in Ephesians 5 and 6. But Jesus is saying that in general, most fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. If I, wicked as I am, know how to bless my son, how much more will God, who is in heaven, want to give us blessings and give good to us? Last Sunday, Pastor Sam, he asked us this question. He said, what would it mean if you defined yourself each day by the grace of God? In other words, what if the grace of God is what defined you? This question is one that I've been wrestling with all week long. There's an area of my life that I feel like God has been wanting me to address for some time now. And uh, to be honest, I've sort of avoided it. I haven't really put it on the table for God and I to deal with together. The sin is self-pity. I really struggle with self-pity. I'll be doing fine one moment, And then one thing will throw me off, and then I'll just spiral down into this sin of self-contempt. I end up feeling sorry for myself. And I've got a good friend who said this. He said, self-pity is satanic. (laughs) And when I first heard that, I sort of balked. Like, dude, that's a little harsh, don't you think? But at closer examination and guidance from the Holy Spirit, I think he's absolutely right. Because Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate display of my self-worth. Though I do not deserve it, Jesus considered my life so worth it that he chose to give his own life for mine. Why? So I could mope around in self-pity at the first sign of suffering? No, absolutely not. The cross of Christ completely eradicates any need for self-pity in my life. And when I choose to live in self-pity, I'm telling Jesus that his death on the cross was a waste of time. So as I've wrestled with what it looks like to be defined by the grace of God, I feel deeply the need to repent of this. And that's what I intend to do over these next 21 days, among a couple other things, addressing self-pity with the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be high priority for me. I will do this through prayer, fasting, and by reading God's truth about who I am. Now, I'm not doing this to impress God. I'm not doing this to win an award. And I'm not doing this because I think God's going to be disappointed if I don't. I'm doing this because I believe that my Heavenly Father wants so much better for me. He wants so much better for me.